Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. I I love what I get to do as a pastor, because my job is to lead and feed, right? In in other words, if you look in the Bible, uh, the word pastor there is actually interchangeable with the word shepherd. My job is, as a shepherd, is to lead and feed the sheep, right? So to lead you to a a good place to eat, and then move you on to the next place. And sometimes those journeys are exhausting to us. And the last couple of places we, I have led you as a church over the summertime has been a big focus on other people. My goodness, we took 24 people to Honduras for a mission trip. And we got back, we, we focused on our 4th of July festivities, which was included our joy ride event, which gave away 33 bikes to some brand new bikes to kids uh, at the 4th of July parade, which was a whole lot of work rounding all those up, then putting a lot of them together and then divvying them out in the parade and building the float. That was a lot of fun. But we did that immediately after we got back from Honduras. And then a few weeks later, uh, a week-long vacation Bible school for kids, which they absolutely loved. And we had never done one before on our own. So that was a lot of fun as well. And then we wrapped it all up with baby dedications last week. And so I got to be honest with you, that takes a whole lot of extra work that we don't normally do. And I'm tired. My staff is tired. Anybody else tired? You know what I'm saying? From all this stuff, it's just like, woo, I'm served out. And so... My job is to lead you into a different place. And so I'm going to lead you to a place of refreshing and time where we just get to focus on us as a church. Everybody okay with that? And so for the next few weeks and through this 21 days of prayer, what I'm going to do is lead us through some times of refreshing as we begin to focus on our spiritual lives. Because really what happens during the summertime is, well, people go on vacation. Vacation is fine. Take your family, take a vacation from work and from your regular uh, duties and all that you do. But what happens a lot of time is people go on vacation from God. And we go on vacation from our, our spiritual disciplines, from reading our Bibles, and we kind of get stuck in this spiritual doldrums where, where the, the wind of God doesn't seem to be blowing across our lives anymore. Our prayer life might be stale, and we find our, our spiritual life is just as, just as stale as well. And so this, this time of refreshing, my hope is to focus on prayer to kind of kickstart your spiritual disciplines and kickstart your spirit life again and get you into a place where you feel connected with God again. So we're going to do that through this series on prayer. So for the next four weeks, <coughs> I'm going to talk to you on the, the subject of prayer. Our key verse is from Ephesians 6.18. Paul said this, pray in the spirit in every situation. In every situation, he wants you to pray in the spirit. So, so basically what Paul is saying is like prayer is not supposed to be a moment in the morning when you begin your prayer or at night before you go to bed. Prayer is supposed to be like this ongoing, long conversation you have with, with God. It's kind of like that text message thread you've got with your bestie where you're just like shooting text messages and memes all day back and forth to him. You know what I mean? Just enjoying relationship with you. No matter what you're doing, you're, you're chatting with him. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your best friend or your mom or whoever that might be. You're chatting all day long. And so that's what prayer should be like. In every situation, you can pray, and you can do it first. Before you begin your day, you want to pray first. That's awesome. But before you step into that meeting, you can pray first. Before you step into that moment of conflict, you can pray first. 
Before you send that email, you can pray first. And before you say something stupid, you can, yeah, you can pray first, right? Thank God for that. But in every situation, Paul says, in every situation, pray. And then, and then he says, using every kind of prayer. Using every kind of prayer and request there is. You say, well, Aaron, I didn't know there was different kinds of prayer. Well, here you go. There are different kinds of prayers. Different formats, different styles, different models to follow. In fact, Jesus gave his disciples, and they said, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, okay, when you pray, say this. And he wasn't telling them to just repeat those words exactly. He was saying, hey, here's a model for prayer. Here's the things that you want to talk about when you're talking to God. These, these are the things. And so this model, Jesus made it simple for his disciples by giving them this, this model. And, and I want to do the same for you. I want to make it simple. Now, if I'm being honest, I feel the tension in the room already. I, I feel this. It's the same tension that I feel in small groups, you know, in our grow groups that we do when I'm leading one. Because every week, you know, you'll wrap up your session with a moment of prayer. <laughs> and it never fails, no matter what, which situation I'm in, me, Everybody looks at me because they think I've got some kind of direct connection, and they're like, you go ahead and pray us out, Pastor. You're going to go ahead and bless the food, Pastor. I'm like, for crying out loud, my name is Aaron. I'm just a dude, and you got the same kind of connection. So what I do is I start my small groups, and I go, okay, guys, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lead the prayer this session, and then next week, somebody else is going to pray. And they don't believe me until we get to next week. And I say, okay, who's going to pray? And I'll sit there real silent. It gets super awkward. And what I find is is that the tension in the room is really thick, and people suddenly, the most interesting thing in the world becomes the ceiling, the floor, or some imaginary thing that somebody's playing with. <laughs> Nobody wants to pray. They, they don't want to pray, and they say, well, I've never done that before. Well, I don't know how to pray. Or Aaron, I've never prayed in front of someone else. And I'm like, that's okay. We'll go ahead and have you do that, and then we'll celebrate you here in a moment. And so I have led all kinds of people in how to pray and getting their opportunity to just do it. But I get why you're nervous. I was nervous too. When I was younger, I was thankful that I grew up in a church and in a youth ministry and children's ministry where the leader of it was happy to pray every single time and the rest of us would grab hands and just agree with them and go, mm-hmm, that's good, yes, mm-hmm, amen. Right, we didn't have to say anything in particular. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so... I was thankful for that. That was my experience until one day I went to church with, with my, my friend. We went to their youth group, and they all got in a circle, and I knew what this was going to be, just saying, yes, Lord, yes, yes, and then an amen. That was my role. But then the youth leader says, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hold hands, and then all of us are going to pray. Every single one of you is going to have an opportunity. Excuse me? <laughs> I'd never experienced anything like this in my life. It was trial by fire. And here's the thing. She said, and we're all going to pray, and here's how we're going to do it. Whenever you're finished praying, don't say amen. Just go silent. So that way the next person knows that you can start praying. And my OCD self, I need order. I'm, I did not want to step into this huge circle of chaos in the first place. But here I am going, oh, my gosh, how am I supposed to know when they're done praying? Like, I've got anxiety. Because what if I start too soon? What if they're just pausing to think about what they're going to say next? Because some of y'all know somebody that prays that way. They pray in broken sentences. They probably talk that way too, right? And, and I, I was just so nervous about the whole thing. Like, can we do like a hand squeeze thing? Like when you're done, just squeeze my hand. But no, this is how we were going to do it. And then they start praying. They're going around the circle. And somebody, of course, waxes eloquent. Like this person starts praying. And you probably know somebody like this, that when they pray, you start to question whether you're saved or not, you know? <laughs> 
because of the way they pray, they, they start stepping into a King James Version kind of prayer, like, oh, Father. And they say God's name like 20 times when they pray. Father God, Father. We pray, Father God, that you, Father, would be here present with us, Father. Thy Holy Spirit. They got thys and thous and the arts. Like, you know, they're just using all these words that you're just like, holy cow. I'm not, I don't even know Jesus. And they pray. And then it got around to me. And everybody had prayed everything I knew how to pray, everything I was planning to say. And I just went, I, they got to me, the person went silent, and I just went, ditto. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. There's some tension there. I've even gone to these things when I was younger. I went to all-night prayer meetings. Anybody ever gone to one of those things before? Come on, somebody. So like, I'm, I guess I'm the only, only kid that grew up in church. <laughs> I don't know why they have to be all-night prayer meetings. Like, I get like an hour. I don't understand the all-night stuff, man. So I went, and I was like, man, I've got about 15 minutes worth of material, and I'm going to give it my best shot. So I show up at this all-night prayer meeting for teens, and I did this thing. I had seen people, like, when they were serious and deep in prayer, they would lay prostrate on the floor. Now, I said prostrate, not the other word, all right? And prostrate just means you're laying face down, stretched out on the ground. And, I, and so I laid down on the ground like this, and, and I just put my head down like this, and I prayed my 15 minutes worth of material, right? But then, y'all, I fell asleep, and I was there until somebody come over and tapped me on the shoulder, and this was me. My plan was to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> they don't know. You can do that at work, too, if you ever get caught sleeping on the job. Just open your eyes slowly. Jesus' name, amen. It's good stuff. That's free. That's just for you. Don't do that. You'll probably get in trouble. It might work, though. So anyway, just put that in your pocket. My point is, I understand, I understand your fears about prayer. My hope in this series, of course, is, is to bring some clarity to what prayer is, what it isn't, help you learn how to do it, and then help you see that there's different styles, there's different ways you can go about doing it. Because some of you are like stuck in a place where you've been praying a certain way for years, and it's just boring to you. And, and, and adding some, some different patterns or going about it a different way may bring some, some life and some, some wind into your spiritual sails. So... So that, that's what we're going to do, all right? Now today, I'm going to show you a prayer that I use more often than not. And this pattern of prayer is what I, I personally choose to use. It's something that I learned from my, my grandmother, who is Jewish. My family line is Jewish. And uh, we, we converted to being Messianic Jews, which means that the Jews are, are understand this, that today, the Jews are still looking for the Christ to come. We believe in the same God, but they, they are still looking for their Savior to come. But if you're a Messianic Jew or a Christian, you believe that the, the Messiah, the Savior, was Jesus and that he's already come. He's, he died and resurrected. And he's already in heaven. Like, he's already fulfilled all the prophecies. But there's a group of Jews who do not believe that. Well, my grandmother converted from Judaism, is what they call it, and began teaching people all about the Old Testament and how the, all the stuff in the Old Testament speaks to and points to, foreshadows who Jesus would be. And so she taught Jewish people that, she taught Christians that, and she taught this to me. And I've had other pastors along the way add to it, and a lot of people would call it a tabernacle prayer, uh, but we're going to call it the, the prayer of Moses. And I'm just excited to share it with you because it means a lot to me because of my grandmother passing it down to me, and, and it's something I personally love and use, and so I'm going to share it with you. And, I, and, and honestly, it's a little deeper than we usually do here at Simple Church on Sunday mornings, but... I think you're going to love it, and so just go with me, and, and let's enjoy it, all right? That's why I give you all the funny stuff on the front end, and so let's, like, dive in now, right, okay? So 
What we're doing is, this, is the prayer of Moses, and we do that because Moses is actually part of the history of the tabernacle. Moses was around during a time when all the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and God raised Moses up to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and so Moses does that, and God sends some plagues, and Pharaoh eventually lets the people go, and Moses' job was to lead four million Jews out of Egypt to a place called the Promised Land. And it was supposed to be a journey that only took four weeks, but it wound up taking 40 years because of some stubbornness in the hearts of the people. And so Moses is leading them through this wilderness instead of getting to the promised land. And Moses was supposed to get to the promised land, and God wanted to dwell among them. And he always had a plan for them to build something called a temple where God's spirit would literally dwell with people. That was what he wanted all along. He intended to dwell with them, which, by the way, When you look in the Old Testament, you see in God dwell in buildings and writing his law upon tablets for people. But but in the New Testament, once Jesus came and did all that he did, God now dwells in our hearts and he writes his word upon our hearts, which, by the way, is a far better arrangement. Amen, everybody? It's a better thing. But, But on their journey to the promised land, since it was taking them so long, God said, you need a portable solution. So he helped them design something, gave them a pattern for something called a tabernacle. And a tabernacle literally means portable church. That's what it's all about. If you were here in the beginning days of Simple Church, you know what portable church is all about. We had to set up and tear down every single week this service in in the funeral home where we were planted. That's right, funeral home. And we had to convert that place and make it look all shiny and bright like you see it in here today so that people would even want to come to church on a Sunday morning. But we were portable church. In Exodus 25, it says this, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them, which by the way is God's desire for you. He wants to live among you. He wants to live with you, dwell inside of you. He wants you to know him the way he knows you. He said, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I'll show you. And so it's this pattern of the tabernacle that'll actually help us and benefit us today as we consider praying through this tabernacle. And you can do this, again, like I said before, you can do this in five minutes. You can do it in an hour. You can take as long as you want to with this. But understand, I'm going to give you the pattern today. So if you're taking notes, there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to give you. uh, And and, and you really, really enjoy this. So just just go with me here, right? So let's first take a look at what the tabernacle is. This is really like actually the best picture I could find of it, by the way. Uh, This is the tabernacle. So it's, it's a structure that has no roof on it. It's a rectangular structure. It's got some gates here in the front. And there's six pieces of furniture in the tabernacle as a whole with a tent in the middle of it. And the tent in the middle of it had a section in the center or in the back part of it that was called the Holy of Holies. So the tent itself is called the Holy Place. In the back part, they have a place called the Holy of Holies that was separated by this big veil. And inside there is where the Ark of the Covenant sat. That's right. The same Ark of the Covenant from the movies Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Uh, only good news is when you get in, into that one, uh, your face doesn't melt off, okay? So it's like a good situation here. Um, but this ark is where, uh, on top of this ark, in, in the Holy of Holies, is where God's Shekinah glory, in other words, his physical manifestation, in other words, a part of himself that he showed so that we could see him. He would dwell there. And, and so, uh, that, and that, that's where God's spirit was. And and so if, in order to get to God's spirit, in order to get to the Holy of Holies, you had to walk past each piece of furniture that was there in order to get to his presence. And, and once you got there, here's what happened. In Exodus 33, it says, 
inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Man, isn't that something? See, I think that if you really believe that if you prayed that God would meet you and speak to you like a friend does face to face, then I think you'd really dive in on what prayer is and make a commitment to doing it. I really think that. I think if you believe that, it would, it would motivate you in a different way, and that's God's desire for you. So some of you are, are going to wax theological on me, though, and say, well, Aaron, that's the Old Testament, and, you know, that's not for us. No, let me tell you to take you to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 17, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, to get rid of all that stuff. He said, I came to fulfill them. In other words, he said, I'm the meaning of it. That, that all, even though we're not under the Old Testament law, we are definitely finding meaning from it still today. And so we can find meaning in the fact that God has designed prayer to be a place where he meets with you face-to-face as a friend, where you get to know him personally and intimately. So here we go. Let's dive in. This pattern of prayer from the tabernacle, again, is how I like to pray more often than not. And the first thing is when you walk into the tabernacle, throw that picture up of the full tabernacle again, if you don't mind. As you first walk in, you see these gates. And these gates would be the spot and the place where people would enter in. And the only thing they were concerned about as they entered in was an attitude of gratitude. That they walked through the gates with thanksgiving and praise on their mind as they stepped into this outer area that is known as the outer court. It was their job to come into that place with a heart of gratitude, and that was their sole focus. So the outer court, the meaning for us, as for this pattern of prayer, the very first thing that we can do is to give God thanks. Give God thanks. That means that before you ask for anything, before you pray for someone else or pray for a prayer request that you have, that you would, you would thank him for what you already have, that you would spend time saying, God, I understand that even if you don't give me anything else, you've already given me enough. That I actually don't need anything else from you. What I need right now is to just tell you thank you for what you've already done. And an attitude of gratitude is is healthy, guys. Because gratitude takes what you have and makes it enough. It, It makes it enough for you. Look, it's right here in Psalms 100. It says, enter his gates, that's his gates, that's the tabernacle, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So when you begin prayer, start with a moment of giving thanks. Some of you are like, Aaron, you don't know the mess that I'm in right now. You don't know the place that I'm in. You don't know the brokenness that I'm walking through. You're right, I don't, but I'm sure it's something that's common to man. And I'm not trying to downplay what you're going through, but I'm trying to tell you, if you're getting ready to tell me I'm going through some stuff and it's hard to be thankful right now, listen, come and talk to me because I will walk you through your life and I will show you some things you've got to be thankful for. And we don't have to go far because I'm going to grab your hand. I'm going to lean in real close. And the next breath you breathe, I'm going to say, you can be thankful for that. Ask you if you can count how many fingers I have. Oh, you can see? You can be thankful for that. You can be thankful. I walked through my life in this time. I walked through my house, literally in my mind, and I just thank God. Thank God for the bed I just woke up in. Thank, thank God that I don't share a bathroom with my kids. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> thank God for my puppies. Thank God for my wife. 
Thank God for my children. Thank God for the car. Thank God for the gas that is in the car. Thank God that I have money in my wallet to pay for the gas that is in the car that I also pay for. Thank God for the job that helps me pay for the gas in the car and the house. Come on, somebody. You've got plenty to be thankful for. And anything and everything that you have has been given to you by God, period. End of story, all of it. All of it. The breath you breathe has been given to you by God. It is a gift. And you can say thank you. There's plenty to be thankful for. Find it. As you walk into into the outer court, the first piece of furniture that you come to was the brazen altar. And this is a picture of it here. The brazen altar was this big altar that had coals constantly burning on it. And it would would have been covered with blood and with with, uh, animal sacrifices. Because here's where people came... Then in order to get to God, something had to die. Something had to, to shed its blood for you, to take the place of your sins. And so what's the New Testament meaning for us here in this spot? Well, the brazen altar for us is, during our time of prayer, means to take a moment and focus on the cross. Take a moment and focus on the cross. To actually imagine what Jesus went through so that we could stand face to face with God so that we could get to know who he was. See, now, we, we, we look at the cross and we go, man, Jesus, you know, you died for my sins. And so in this moment, you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and help me forgive others. Like, you can deal with all that in that moment. That's cool. That's good. But there's something more. Because see, what Jesus did was greater than just paying for your sins. The Bible says that Jesus suffered four very specific wounds while he was on the cross. And Paul talks about it this way before I get to the wounds. He says, when I, and I'm going to read this. I've, I've taken Romans 5, 6, and I've made it my own. He says, when I was utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for me, a sinner. He, he died for you. He died for me at just the right time. He did this for us. And so we, before we ask for anything, we say thank you, and then we stop and look at the cross and just take a moment to realize he died for us. He took our place. And so with these four wounds, Jesus was pierced in his hands and his feet. He had a, a, a spear that was shoved through his side into his heart. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head, and he was whipped and beaten across his back, or the Bible calls them stripes, that he took on his back. And the prophet Isaiah prophesied many years before Jesus even walked this earth that he would do this. And he said that each of those, those wounds had a purpose. He said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. See, Jesus was pierced in his hands and his feet for our transgressions. Transgressions are, literally means the area that we've gone too far. The areas that we've not lived God's best for our lives. We've crossed the line. And when you cross the line, you cross it with your feet. And you cross it with your hands. It's the places you've gone. It's the things that you've done. It's your transgressions. It's the things we've done with our hands and our feet. And Jesus was pierced in his hands and his feet for our transgressions, for our sins. And then he was crushed for our iniquities. His heart, a spear went right through his heart as it came in through his side. And he was crushed for our iniquities. Our iniquities isn't our sin. Our iniquity is our sin tendencies. It's that root of sin that is in our heart. It's that darkness that is there. That he died so that that part of us could be healed as well. 
It's that thing that you struggle with, that thing that you've asked God to forgive you a hundred times for, but yet you come back to it. That's an iniquity. It's not the very act itself. It's the heart behind it. And Jesus' heart was pierced for our iniquities so that that could be healed. And then it says that the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Well, what punishment? Well, there was a crown that was placed on his head. And it was placed on his head because the place that we needed peace the most is where? In our minds. It's the place that fear and anxiety and all these, these negative emotions dwell. But he was, he was wounded. He took that punishment on his head for our mental health. And then it says that he was hit, and by his wounds we are healed. Another translation says by the stripes. So the whippings that he took on his back that essentially turned his back into hamburger meat. That he did that so that we could be healed. And he would heal every area of our lives that was not just diseased, but diseased. So you're, for your marriage, for your relationships, for your finances, for every area of you that is diseased, he paid a price so that you could be healed. Jesus did all of this. And so when you stop here for just a moment, you can spend a lot of time here if you want to, but you need to stop and acknowledge that blood was shed for you, that a price was paid for the totality of who you are, not just your sins, for you to be healed, for you to be made new. That's the cross of Jesus. Stop and let it impact you. After you pass the altar in the outer court, all the dead things and the blood that was there, you pass to, to a big bowl called a laver. And this laver uh, had water in it, and it was used for washing, all right? And it was used for cleansing before you went into the temple. And the basin had mirrors in the bottom of it so that when you looked in, you could see yourself. In other words, it was a moment of reflection. And for you and I, modern day today, if we were to take a moment to reflect on our lives, especially when, when in comparison to who God is, we would find ourselves lacking. We would see the depravity of our very own lives, the, the, the fact that we are not enough on our own apart from him. And so the modern day picture for us is, is, is a submitting of ourselves, offering every part of our lives to God. Because it's here that we realize we need him. We need him to wash us up. We need him to cleanse us and to, to strengthen every part of our lives. And so, so what I do in this moment is I literally submit parts of my body to him. I start at the top of my head and go all the way down. I say, God, I give you my thoughts today. Let them be transformed. I take every thought captive according to the obedience of Christ. Lord, let my thoughts be creative. Let them be like yours. God, I give you my ears. May I hear your voice today, and may I silence the voices of those that I ought not be listening to. God, I give you my eyes. May I focus on you. May I see others that are in need as well. I give you my mouth. Uh-oh, this is the one I struggle with. Because, see, God's given me the gift of gab and the gift to talk, but my gift is oftentimes my greatest weapon too because just as easily as I can build up, I can tear people down quick and I need help every day. Don't judge me. But this is true for my life. And so I submit my mouth to God. God, let me speak only words of encouragement today. Let me build people up. Let me not speak evil. Then I give him, I give him my heart. 
Jesus, be Lord of my life today, of every area of it. And it's at this point that I also say, I give you control. Man, that one sucks. I don't like doing that. I like control. I really do. I love it, actually. But giving God control is important of my day, of my attitude, of my heart, of my relationships, all of it. Move down to my hands. Here's my hands. Use them today. Let me serve somebody. Let me help somebody. Let me be a blessing to somebody. Here's my feet. Let me be in step with your spirit today. Take me where you'd have me go. Right? Just submitting myself, asking him for wisdom in all these areas. Asking him for, for his guidance. For him to completely take control. Offering my body to him. You say, Aaron, where is that in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul said in Romans 12.1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Thank you. See, here's the thing. God's not looking for dead animals anymore. Jesus already paid the price. What he's looking for now is for us to offer ourselves. Offer ourselves. He said, offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's when we take ourselves and align ourselves with God's plans and his purposes for our lives, pointing everything at him. Once you get past the labor, you can walk right into the next place. You go into the holy place. And in the holy place, there's three pieces of furniture. The first you come across is the seven-pronged candlestick. You might know this as a menorah, but this one would have actually been on a stand, and it would have lit up the whole room. And it was important that this, this candlestick continue to burn all the time. And in the Bible, our application for this is, is that it's light, but it's also fire. And in the Bible, the, the, the thing that represents fire over and over again is the Holy Spirit. And so for us, our application, this moment, this posture in prayer is to invite the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. In other words, invite the Holy Spirit and say, hey, do your work in me. There's this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's what it is. And we don't act naturally in any of those ways. Let the Holy Spirit work on us, make us more like Jesus. So invite him to do his work in you that day. And then there's this thing called the gifts of the Spirit. He has gifts for you. He's placed them inside of you. And he says, he says Let, come on, Holy Spirit. Invite him to stir up those gifts, to give you wisdom about how to use those gifts, how to grow in those gifts, and use them to be a blessing to his church. Look what Paul said. He's talking to Timothy. He said, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Listen, all of you need to know, you have a gift and you have a calling. God has that for you. Even if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, he has a gift and a calling he wants to give you. Everyone has one. Everybody say, I have a gift. gift. Yeah, you have a gift. Next time you should say it like you believe it. That's cool, though. (laughs) You have a gift. And you need to let the Holy Spirit stir it up. Why? Paul tells us why. He said, for God's not giving you a spirit of fear and timidity. That's no way to live your life. If If you don't stir up your gift, you can live your life that way. Or... He said, but a power, love, and self-discipline. Come on, somebody. That's better right there. That's the life I want to live, empowered. I want to live a life of love and a life of self-discipline. You can have a different life if you invite the work of the Holy Spirit every single day. Let's keep moving. As you move to the other side of the room, there's this table called the, the, uh, 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 the table of showbread. And on it were 12 fresh-baked loaves of bread. Now, for me, if I was actually in a tabernacle, this is where I was going to hang out. I like bread. In fact, if I go to a restaurant and they've got good bread, oh, God. <laughs> my, my words exactly. Oh, oh, God. 
Go to a place like Red Lobster. You get some of them Cheddar Bay biscuits. Mm. I'm not even holding anything right here, and I'm feeling so. I'm just going to set that down right there for just a second. I'll come back to you. But if they got good bread, I'll fill up on bread, and I'll take whatever I ordered home with me, right? Well, that's when you order like that $2 side salad. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. Can I get a, because it comes with bread too, little croutons. It's just rough bread. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's hard. <laughs> but this, these, 12, these 12 loaves of bread were on this table. And they, they symbolize for us in today's, today's New Testament time, modern world, that, that this is God's word. Jesus, uh, Jesus said that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father, that, that this is God's word. And his word is written for us, and we're supposed to live by it. We're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to fill up on his word. And so the table of showbread is an opportunity for us to stop and read God's word and to claim the promises that are found inside of it. And, and at this point in time, you may want to just stop praying, grab God's word and say, hey, hey, Holy Spirit, why don't you just teach me from this for a minute? And, and, and you can follow along in, in some kind of reading plan if you want to or just read a verse. But there's something in it that is there to sustain you, there to help you grow. God has something for you every single day of your life. Like you eat every day physically, you need to eat every day spiritually. You need to open God's word. Find just a single verse if you want, or you can dive in on the, the Simple Church app. We've got a read the Bible through in a year. And if you do that, you'll join everybody in here that's doing that. We're all reading the same verses every day. Every single day, it's the same selection for all of us, which is really awesome because then you get to talk with other people about it. Like, hey, I was reading this, and this is what God spoke to me. How about you? Right? So it becomes this fellowship of the believers. Ha, huh, imagine that. You can eat every day, just a little bit, if not all of it, all, all that, that, that your Devo or devotional or the, the selections for the day outlines for you. Get it in your heart. Chew on it. Think about it. Meditate on it. It means to think about it over and over again. Let it just do its work in your heart. And ask God to teach you. Ask God to give you a love for his word. Some of you are like, Aaron, I don't really, I don't really love it. I actually forget about it often. Well, let me tell you something. In life, whatever you feed yourself, you develop an appetite for. If you feed yourself lots of pizza all the time, guess what you got an appetite for and what you're going to be thinking about for your next meal? Pizza. If you feed yourself protein shakes, guess what you're going to have an appetite for? Pizza. That's right. <laughs> protein shakes. Same with God's word. If you choose to, just, just I'm going to do a little bit every day. On the days that you miss, you're going to be like, something ain't right. Oh, I missed my Bible today. You develop an appetite for what you feed yourself. So dive in. Now, we're almost to God's presence. We've got one more piece of furniture before we get there. Check it out. And the next one is the altar of incense. The altar of incense is this golden altar right here. It has a coal from the altar, the big altar out in the outer courts on it. And they would take some incense and put it on there. So it'd smell real good like you just walked into a bed, bath, and beyond or like a water beds and stuff. And because uh, they always got incense burning in there. And, uh, and so this, this it was, it, the point of it was to make a sweet smell. And it was always burning before God's presence. And so the, the, the application for us, of course, is, is to worship God's name. That is what is sweet to God today. He loves worship. He loves our worship. And that's a sweet fragrance. It's, a, it's an incense to him. Not when we just tell him thanks. That's Thanksgiving. 
Worship is something completely different. Worship isn't saying, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Worship is, regardless of what you've done for me, you're still awesome. Regardless of whether you'll do anything for me, you're still the creator of this universe. You're good. You're a good shepherd. You're a good, good father. You're my deliverer, my redeemer, my healer. See, we start calling out the names of God. At this place in Proverbs 18, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. We start talking to him and, and saying, God, I value you. See, there's so, much, there's so much you can tell how much you value somebody by their name. It's their reputation that's attached to their name. And this is what worship becomes. We begin to talk to God about his reputation. You're faithful even when I'm not. You're loving even when I'm not. You're all-powerful, all-knowing. You're wise. You're the God of the impossible. We begin to worship him, expressing his worth to us based on who he is, not what he's done for us. We're not asking him for anything. We're just declaring his worth. So this is the process we walk through. We enter in with thanksgiving and praise. We stop at the cross and acknowledge what Jesus did. We submit our lives to God and align ourselves entirely with him. We invite the Holy Spirit to do his work. We open God's word and claim his promises. And then we worship. And it's here at this moment that you can step in to God's presence. You say, isn't God with us all the time through all this? Of course he is. But it's here once you've, you, you've just exalted him and declared his power and his worth that everything in life becomes small and you're able to just give it to him, to trust him with it. It goes beyond words that you're going to say. Because now you're in a place where you're face to face with your God. You personally have exalted him bigger than your problems, bigger than anything you're facing, bigger than anything your friends are facing. And it's in this place, in this space, that you step into the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would sit. And the Ark of the Covenant was this chest that had angels, and their wings were on it, and they were looking away. But in between the, 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 the angels' wings is where the Shekinah glory of God would sit, and Moses would speak to God face to face. And the priests would talk to him. You say, Aaron, what do we do when we come face to face with God? Well, we do what Jesus is doing today. The Bible says that when Jesus comes before God, his son comes before the Father, that he's praying for you and for me. So that's what we do. In this moment, we step before God and we begin to intercede for others. That's what it means. It means to pray for others, to become like an attorney where you stand before God and you plead a case of another. And that's where I pray for you. I pray for the leadership of our country. So I pray for President Trump. I pray for the House and the Senate. I pray for Governor DeWine. I pray for Mary McLeod here in this city. I pray for our overseers of this church, my pastors, Conan, Gary, and Joe. I pray for the leadership of this church, my executive leadership team that governs me in this church body. I pray for the leaders that serve here and the pastors that serve alongside me. I pray for the sick. I pray for the lost. I pray for this community. Pray for the city of Reynoldsburg. I go before God and I plead on each of your behalf for whatever it is that, that, 
that God's word outlines he has for you and for whatever he's shown me that you need. This is what prayer can look like, guys. This is that space. Paul said this to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. See, he's, see, he's talking about our politicians. You don't have to like them. You don't have to agree with them, but you got to love them and pray for them. He says there's a reason for that, though, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So I just lift up to God all that's on my heart. And here's my hope in this place in this space. I hope you'll try this. I hope you've been taking notes. If you haven't, we have these pray first guides. And I'm not sure how many we have left. First service, they pretty much cleaned us out. But if you don't get one today, we'll have some more next week, I hope. We'll order them. But, but we'll have some of these at, at the Connect Center. And they actually cover the tabernacle prayer in here. I hope you'll try it. I hope that at your next, next moment of prayer, the next time you set aside time with God, especially during this 21 days of prayer, that whether it's five minutes or an hour, half hour, whatever that looks like for you, that you'll walk through the tabernacle and, and you'll pray these moments of prayer. And here's why I want you to become familiar with prayer so badly. <laughs> because prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. It should be our first response. A lot of people get into situations and they say, well, all we can do now is pray. All you can do? That's the first thing you should do. It's the best thing you can do is pray. So we're going to do that now. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would help us to pray, to develop a discipline of prayer. And then as we do, Lord, as we make space in our lives to meet you, that you would meet us there. Then no matter which pattern of prayer we choose to use, whether it's just a simple, God, help me in this situation, whether choose to walk through the tabernacle prayer or the Lord's prayer or whatever it might look like. God, that you would just meet us in that space and that we would, when we meet you face to face, that we would just be transformed. <laughs> that you would let our lives and the lives of those around us be touched because we've spent time with you face to face as friends. That people would say of us like they said of the disciples in the scripture, that they could tell that they were people that had been with Jesus. God, let that be the hallmark of our lives. That people would know that we've spent time with you. And Lord, I pray for me included and all of us, that you would just refresh us. As we walk through this 21 days of prayer, that you would put fresh winds in our spiritual sails. Lord, that we would be renewed and strengthened for, this, for the rest of this year and the rest of, of our time. Let us be refreshed, Jesus. As we remain in this moment, there's some of you, the very first prayer you need to pray is a prayer where you just invite God into your, into your life. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready for a relationship with you. And we do that, and the only way we can do that is through what Jesus did. And so, so we ask Jesus to be Lord of our lives. We say, hey, you're the way in. I want to hang out with you. And so if you're ready to pray that prayer, I'll give you the words to it. You can pray them. You just need to mean them in your heart. Two people said yes to Jesus in the first service. And why not a few more this service? And I don't want you to be afraid. I won't embarrass you or have you come to the front or stand up or say anything. 
Everybody's got their head bowed right now and nobody's looking around. And so if I'm talking to you and you're ready to invite God in, into your life, to have a relationship with him through Jesus, would you just slip up your hand now and say, Aaron, I'm gonna pray that prayer today. Just do that now, be bold. Say, that's me. All right, church, everybody, we're gonna pray together. Nobody prays alone. There's no reason for that. They're part of the family. So if we all pray out loud, say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Give me your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, all of heaven is having a party right now. Come on, church. Can we celebrate with those for saying yes to Jesus today? Now, if you made that commitment today, I would, I would love to ask you to take out your Connect card, mark it. There's a place on here that says, man, I said yes to Jesus today. But I'm also going to ask you to mark the next spot that says, I want to be baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of what's going on inside of you. In fact, it's the first thing Jesus asks you to do. So your next step is to check that box and turn this in at the end of service today in the, in the give box in the back of the room. Here's what will happen. Somebody will reach out and give you more information about it tell you our next baptism date. We did baptisms today between first and second service in the parking lot. And uh, you probably saw some of that as you were coming in. But, uh, but, but they'll get you information on that so you can invite your friends and family and come and celebrate what God is doing in your life. So be bold. Let's do it. Let's mark those cards, all right? A couple things I need to tell you about before we dismiss and, and uh, receive our offering is, uh, first of all, um, a kickball tournament. So we just got uh, uh, invited to play our kickball team that formed that will start playing sometime in September, I believe, uh, got invited to a kickball tournament this weekend at the Tomato Festival right here in Reynoldsburg. And so 9 a.m. at Huber Park, our team is going to be playing. I guess they've challenged a whole bunch of churches against each other uh, to, to go out there and verse each other. And so uh, if we lose in the first round, it'll be a short day, and you can just enjoy the rest of the festival. Uh, if we don't, hang out with us because we're going to keep on playing until we uh, come home with some gold. And uh, so come out and cheer them on. It'll be a great, uh, a great, a lot of fun. Uh, looking for, if you're looking for more details on that, that'll be, of course, on our website and on our, our social media uh, so that you don't have to remember all that. Also, we're doing our very first women's conference. Maybe you've heard about this. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's also on our website. It's a women's conference called Enough. It's in September. Um, it's one of those conferences. A lot of them charge money to go. We're not charging you a dime. We would love for you to come. It's, uh, it's free for you. So uh, come and, and enjoy that. If you're a lady, uh, and I, I see a few out there, uh, you come, come to the women's conference. You just sign up online and, uh, and join us for that uh, as well. I think that's pretty much it. I'm a few minutes over, so let me pray for you, bless you, and we'll go. If you have an offering to give today, you can choose to do it through these ways on the screen, or you can give in the uh, give box in the back of the room. Uh, but uh, we thank you for your faithfulness and your tithes and your offerings. And, of course, if you're a guest today, you're under no obligation to give. We're just glad you're here. So let me pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, my team will be here at this altar to pray for you after we dismiss. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in us. Go with us this week as we set on this 21 days of prayer of carving out time daily to spend with you, Lord. Put fresh wind in our spiritual sails, Lord. Meet us in those moments, God. Bless this offering as we receive it. Help us reach more people that are far from you with every dollar. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next week.